Shalom and welcome to the Jewish Mind, where the growth of modernity meets the timeless wisdom and solutions of Judaism. Today's lecture is titled, The Spirituality of Wealth, Understanding the Spiritual Road to Richness. There is so much to be said about true wealth. In Jewish teachings, our sages are quoted for saying, There is no poverty but for in the mind. A simple way to understand this is through a story that my friend once told me about life in the shtetl. So, the rich man buys a new hat for two ruble, and a year later sells the hat to a poor man for one ruble. At the end of the day, how much did each man end up spending on their hat? One ruble. However, the rich man wore a new hat, while the poor man wore a used hat. Yes, wealth in its most practical sense is manifested in having an abundance of financial wherewithal. However, wealth is more than just an ingathering of financial means. I remember the time when they found that the beggar at the synagogue in New York who would sit there in filthy clothes suffering from malnutrition, who after he died, the authorities literally found $1 million in cash in his infested run-down apartment. And such stories there are unfortunately many of. These type of stories are not the only example, for they are the examples of people who show off their financial wealth in a most pitiful and insecure fashion. And then there are those who are so attached to each and every one of their millions of dollars, unable to help anyone with their vast wealth. The point that I am making here is, that in essence, for someone to become truly wealthy, they must experience a transformation on their DNA level. No, I am not being poetic or seeking out dramatic expressions. What we are going to explore here is the spirituality of wealth. When someone undergoes a true spiritual experience, they are transformed completely to the point that they are genetically different in how they experience themselves, God, and the world around them. Otherwise, they remain a poor person with a lot of money, and that isn't called being wealthy. In this lecture, we explore the mystical teachings of wealth and how to obtain it. So, some introductions. The basic foundation of many mystical teachings in Judaism is that the physical realm in which we live is a reflection of the spiritual realm from which our world is sustained. However, on the other hand, the changes within the spiritual realms can only be brought about in reflection to what we physically do here in our physical realm. God gave the Torah and its commandments specifically to be studied and observed by us physical beings of freedom of choice in the physical realm. When we study Torah and observe commandments, we are creating influences, shifts, and changes in the spiritual realms. Actually, the primary three ways that we create these changes in the spiritual realm is through our prayer, Torah study, and observing commandments. Both of these fundaments are important to understand for our exploration. Let's go over them. A. Everything that happens and everything that we experience in the physical realm is a reflection of what is happening in the spiritual worlds. B. Everything that happens in the spiritual worlds are controlled by our actions in this world. 
When someone is sick, God forbid, for example, we immediately turn to prayer and to giving charity on his behalf. The reason behind this is precisely the above-mentioned two mystical fundaments of faith. The reason why the person is suffering here physically is a reflection of what is going on with him spiritually. And the way to change what is going on for him spiritually is through physical actions of prayer and good deeds on his behalf. Another introduction to the Torah view upon wealth and poverty can be obtained from the Torah's laws concerning charity. For starters, Maimonides defines for us the difference between the word tzedakah and chesed. Tzedakah is the word used for charity. However, literally, the word comes from tzedek, which means justice. The word chesed means kindness, benevolence. Maimonides goes on to explain that tzedakah is when we give a person what his regular familiar needs are, while chesed is when we give an abundance of good beyond the person's needs. After this insight from Maimonides in his book Guide for the Perplexed, we can now turn to the laws of giving tzedakah. The Torah commands us, and I'm going to read you the verse of charity in Deuteronomy. The verse says, If there will be among you a needy person, and then it goes on to say, You shall open your hand to him, and you shall lend him sufficient for his needs, which he is lacking. Now Rashi, Rav Shlomo Yitzchaki, comments on the words of our verse as follows. He quotes, Sufficient for his needs, and he comments, However, you are not commanded to make him wealthy. You just have to give him sufficient for his needs. Then he quotes the words of the verse, what he is lacking, and now Rashi comments, even a horse to ride on and a servant to run before him if he is accustomed to this type of lifestyle. Rashi is telling us that, on the one hand, we are commanded upon tzedakah to exclude chesed, in other words, to provide the person with his needs, but not to make him rich. On the other hand, Rashi is telling us the definition of needs includes his accustomed lifestyle, even if it means to provide him with horses and servants to run before him. This means that a person's accustomed lifestyle defines his needs and not his wealth, for wealth is an abundance beyond what the person could ever need to accommodate even his flamboyant lifestyle. What is important for, from these definitions and laws is that we find three financial categories. A. Poor, in which a person does not have to provide for his needs. B. Not poor, where a person has to provide for all his needs, including those of an accustomed high lifestyle. C. Wealthy which is only defined by a person having abundance beyond anything that he could ever need to accommodate even his high lifestyle. One last introduction is based upon the universal balance between holiness and evil. King David, when his son Absalom rose up in rebellion, wrote Psalm 55, which states, I quote to you verse 18, He redeemed my soul with peace from the battle that came upon me, because of the many people who were with me. Once again, Rashi helps us understand the verse and explains, because of the many people who were with me, for he did this because of the many people who came to my aid to pray on my behalf, as it is stated, and all Israel and Judah loved David. 
Now, who were the many people who prayed for King David's victory, which caused the King David's victory come about peacefully? Our sages say, even Absalom's men prayed for David's victory. What we are seeing here is that there is a victory that comes through a hard-fought war, and then there is a victory that comes through peace. The difference is whether the enemy is transformed or not. King David is pointing out that the reason why this victory came about peacefully is because of the transformation amongst Absalom's men who were praying for King David's victory. So, there were a lot of the information given here, and it would be best if we start connecting the dots. In this lecture, the main two physical actions that bring about the spiritual shifts which then manifest themselves in a physical change are Torah study and prayer. The shift that needs to be brought about is the victory of the selfless theocentric spiritual paradigm over the selfish egocentric physical paradigm. Now the difference between the peaceful victory and the war-waged victory is whether it is brought about through Torah study or through prayer. True wealth can only be brought about through peaceful victory. The wealth that is brought about through war is ultimately a pauper's wealth. However, even with the peaceful victory of Torah study, which brings about true wealth, there is the Torah study effect of Moses, of King Solomon, and of Mashiach. Our job here is to explore the ultimate peaceful victory, which will bring about true wealth, and then to make it simply practical for you and me so that we can physically and practically live with true financial wealth, which is but a mere peaceful symptom of our practical spiritual peaceful transformation on a DNA level. However, my friends, before we become practical, we are going to first have to become completely spiritual and examine this from the paradigm of the infinite light, blessed be he. The reason why there physically exists poverty, making do, and true wealth is because these three levels of sustenance exist within the infinite light and its relationship with creation. The three levels of infinite light are A. Finite linear permeating light B. Infinite circular encompassing light and C. The essence light. Let's go ahead and explain each one of these layers of the infinite light. A. The finite linear permeating light is that which reckons with the finite limitations of the creations and clothes itself within the creation. By mere definition, this is the poor light, which is finite and lacks the all-encompassing infinite light. Now in service, this is the service of prayer, which is the service that begins from the creation crying out to God its needs. On a more spiritual plane, prayer is all about the soul engaging with the body's egocentric desires and its emotions of love and fear, in order to transform them into more selfless theocentric desires and feelings of love and fear. This is why in Kabbalah and Hasidus we are taught that, and I will quote to you, the time of prayer is the time of war. This refers to the war between the selfless godly soul and its emotions against the animalistic soul and its emotions. 
The war of prayer is waged through meditating and concentrating upon spiritual teachings until the intellect of the mind pours over into the heart and begins to plant there seeds of selfless spiritual emotions. On the transformation level of the global balance and unity between the spiritual transparency and the opaque coarseness of physicality, this is a victory that is brought about through hard engagement of war. This level of light takes seriously the identity and the egocentric limitations of creation. This is the first level of light, which is the source of poverty. Then we have B. The infinite circular encompassing light is the financial state of, let me quote again, sufficient for his needs, however you are not commanded to make him wealthy. On the one hand, it is infinite and encompassing, yet on the other hand, by its very definition, it is encompassing something, that something is the universe, and thus, even this light is related to the existence and sustenance of creation, its needs. This is the service of Torah study of the laws of permissible, forbidden, and mandatory, of each physical object and of each human experience. On the one hand, the Torah is coming from above and shining its divine light upon each creation and each situation. It is infinite and comes from above and shines upon the below. However, on the other hand, it deals with every human possible experience, knowing when the person is lying to the Jewish court and when not, when the animal or object is kosher and when it is not. On the transformational level of the global balance and unity between the spiritual transparency and the opaque coarseness of physicality, this is a victory that is brought about through an overpowering revelation from above, the Torah light. The light isn't starting with the definition of the creation, but from the paradigm of the Torah. However, the light is taking in consideration the creation's limitations, providing each with their appropriate divine definition. Thus, this is not poverty, it does come from above, but it's also not wealth. It's dealing with the needs, including the encompassing needs of creation. This is the manifestation of Moses' teaching of the Torah in the desert, in which Moses said the verse, let me quote you the verse from Numbers, So it was, whenever the ark set out, Moses would say, Arise, O Lord, may your enemies be scattered, and may those who hate you flee from you. Moses referred to the ark, where the Torah tablets lay, as one who had enemies and those who hate, only that the Torah makes them scatter and flee. So it is a peaceful victory, but not one of total transformation. There is still enemies and there is still those who hate, but they do scatter and flee without war. Now we go to level C, the essence light, which breaks into two levels, that of King Solomon, which is the revelation of the essence light, and that of Mashiach, which is the essence of the essence light. Let's explain this practically. King Solomon... This is the beginning of the era of true peace in which the great revelation of the light drew the sparks toward it. This is why Queen Sheba, upon hearing of King Solomon, came to King Solomon to be transformed. Rather than the ark being brought to the desert of the enemy, i.e. King Solomon going to Queen Sheba, Queen Sheba came to King Solomon. 
Upon this state of peaceful victory, the verse states, Arise, O Lord, to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Here we speak of the Torah, the ark, experiencing its state of resting place. This level of Torah study is more of the esoteric Torah study, in which the revelation of the light is that of the tree of life, rather than that of the tree of knowledge. The tree of knowledge revelation of Torah speaks of both the kosher and the non-kosher states of creations. However, in the tree of life revelation of, Torah, of the Torah, everything, even that which later manifests itself as evil, however, here all exists as a holy and pure peace of God, as God is everything and everything is God. However, on the transformation level of the global balance and unity between creator and creation, the revelation of the essence light reaches out to the godly spark within each creation and not to the physical embodiment of the creation. It was Queen Sheba's spirituality that brought her to King Solomon. However, were Queen Sheba not to be intrigued and inspired by wisdom and spirituality, Queen Sheba would not have come to King Solomon to be transformed. So what we're seeing here is that even on the level of King Solomon, only the godly sparks, only that which was in tune with spirituality was transformed. However, not the physicality itself. So let's talk about Mashiach. This is the ultimate state of victory by peace, where the very flesh of physical coarseness shall become transparent and lucid. This is the depths of the studies of Hasidus in which the source, the essence of light of Torah is digested. This Torah study isn't about the revelation of light shining out into the physical world. Rather, this is the physical world itself being a piece of God. For truly, God is everything and everything is God. In this total state of unity between creator and creation, where the very physicality of the physical realm is transparent to God and selfless by nature, this is where the spiritual experience and transformation takes place on the DNA level and where true openness to wealth exists. Now it is time to bring this all back to our practical physical experience of opening ourselves up to the ultimate true wealth of financial abundance beyond measure. Let us do this in closing to our lecture. So in closing, the underlying current of this entire mystical teaching with all its details and layers speak but of one concept, the relationship between us and physical wealth. There is the level of victory through war, in which we see money and wealth as the root of all evil with which we must consistently wage a war within us to remain humble and selfless as we engage with the enemy, the egocentric wealth of an egocentric world. On this level of relationship between our physical self and God, there will always be poverty and a sense of need, fear and insecurity in which we are always in the pounce mode of a predator. Then there is the next level up, in which we sense that wealth must have a spiritual goal and purpose, otherwise it can be a hindrance to our spirituality and to our relationship with God. Thus, we are careful in our prayer and pursuit of wealth to be mindful of tithing and to all of those who can help, who we can help, lest our money be selfish. 
In this level, we experience a greater sense of security, empowerment, and openness to wealth. Nevertheless, we are not one with wealth. Rather, our wealth must define itself in a purpose of goodness and kindness. The ultimate level of openness and oneness with true wealth on a DNA level is when we see all of creation as one with God, and wealth, peace of mind, and absolute abundance is but a symptom of being God's precious child in God's precious garden of goodness and abundance. Let us now speak of the practical steps to take in order to experience true wealth from the DNA level outward. Start studying the Chabad Hasidus teachings upon the oneness of God and God's relationship with creation. Meditate upon these teachings until they become your paradigm in which there is no good versus evil or God versus Satan. For in the tree of life Torah study, God is everything and everything is God. There is nothing but absolute goodness. Now, when that becomes our paradigm, we are truly open. Then, bring this paradigm into your office. There is no need for predatory instincts and senses, for there is no enemy to be conquered and no competition to overcome. The focus of giving service to another is a blessing in itself, and the income of wealth is from living in the unity and oneness where everything is God and God is everything, and in God's presence there is but abundance. Friends, modernity offers growth and growth comes with challenges. Judaism offers timeless divine solutions. The Jewish mind is where modernity meets Judaism.